Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 19. We are delighted here to, on the 14th of August, be able to talk about actual football, albeit the preseason. So week one of the preseason is in the books, and we'll be looking at the weekend's game for each of our Midwest teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. We strive always to give objective coverage that is fair, so don't look for us to blow happy talk all over you. We are not state media for your team, but what we will do is tell you exactly what's going on. I'm Joe Smith, and this is my broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Hi there, Brian. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Um, we got a lot to talk about today, so let's just get right into it. Starting with Ezekiel Elliott finally signs with the Patriots. The dominoes are really starting to fall here because all of a sudden Kareem Hunt got really popular with basically every team in the entire known universe. You got Zeke signing with New England. Just about not even half an hour ago, the word came down that Dalvin Cook was going to sign with the Jets. This is not the greatest fit from a uh, fantasy football perspective because of Ramadre Stevenson suddenly not being the only show in town when it was wheels up. But the New England Patriots very quietly as an offense had the worst red zone conversion to touchdown percentage in the entire NFL last year. Zeke does his best work in the red zone, especially inside the 10. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I feel like that's a really good fit. It's a very good football move that won't make the fantasy football drafters very happy. Yep. It does definitely hurts Ramondre Stevenson in fantasy and uh, other big news in the AFC East, Delvin Cook now joins Aaron Rodgers, as a lot of people had thought. Uh, he is now a Jet. What do you think this means for Brees Hall? Is injury worse than we thought? It could be. It definitely means they don't need to rush him back, which in the long term of Brees Hall can only be a good thing mm-hmm. because you definitely don't want a running back that absolutely looked special last year. Agreed. To come back in the middle of his second year with a permanent limp. Mm-hmm. So from that respect, I like it. As long as Dalvin Cook is there, it's looking like a 50-50 timeshare because they're both speedy backs that can be involved in the passing game. Brees Hall's better. And definitely have success in the red zone if you put a good line in front of them. So they're similar backs that you don't have to radically change the system for. This reminds me of the East Coast version of what the Seahawks did. Um, I think the du- the dual-headed running back uh, approach is great for the team, bad for fantasy players, because it adds to a lot of confusion. To which a lot of NFL coaches would almost proudly say, we're not in the business to win fantasy leagues. Exactly. So speaking of people who don't want to win games, it looks like uh, the Colts uh, might be having Jonathan Taylor, though, because he is back with the Colts, still on pup and still not practicing. But he is there and there's a not now new newfound hope that he might actually play week one. He is still demanding a trade. Uh, he wants absolutely nothing to do with the Colts. And there is a wild story I heard that basically this allegation came in that they won the Colts wanted uh, Taylor to come in for his physical early, you know, meaning when nobody was around 
And he went because he was pretty much contractually obligated to, but he was very cautious with what he said. And it, and it was out of that meeting that all of a sudden he, the team said he was complaining about problems with his back and everything else to which he has publicly denied. So this is turning into an even bigger, he said, she said, and what's going on here? What are we doing? You've got a 20, four 25 year old running back in the prime of his career, get him on the field. When, when we get to the uh, running back breakdown later for fantasy, it's pretty obvious that he is on the short list of elite running backs over the next couple of years. And it's insane the way that they're treating them, especially knowing that they seem to be more willing to be ready to pay uh, Michael Pittman to be the 35th best receiver in the league, 20 plus million dollars a year, but they don't want to give Jonathan Taylor 4 million. So that's, that's just really weird when he's arguably a top five talent. Yeah. We've gone off on Ursay and the Colts on this before. So we don't need to belabor the point. You can find it in our past episodes, but the good news is that Jonathan Taylor's back in camp. The bad news is everybody's still ticked off. And on that note, on to the preseason roundup. Shall we start with our double hitter with the Packers versus the Bengals uh, to start the week? You want to give a quick summary? Yeah, not a whole lot of Bengals starters actually played in the game, so we can't really say a whole lot intelligent about them. The big news for Cincinnati was the positive Joe Burrow news. He was throwing before the game with no calf sleeve on his sideline, so it looks very Seen much like, yeah, so it looks very much like he's going to be ready for week one. Great news there. Yep. Uh, as far as the, the actual that matters game, for Cincinnati at this point. <laughs> yeah, really. Because for the most part, we will not care what happened in this preseason game. We just care about, you know, the the tidbits that we can see. Like we were looking at what does Jordan Love doing? And he showed some real promise. He had seven for 10 passing with uh, a very pretty touchdown to Romeo Dobbs on his last play played two drives, but only 46 yards. So a lot of checkdowns. He was not accurate. A lot of these were receivers doing great work adjusting to the football. But the good news is from a mental progression standpoint, the ball went into the right place all 10 times. There weren't any stupid throws. That is something that I was listening to the PFF podcast earlier this week. They were actually at the joint scrimmage, which is a kind of a, similar stuff they saw at this game that I saw today that I was watching for when I was watching the game was that Jordan Love, who was known at Utah State to be very erratic, whether it's by coach or uh, probably by coaching, he seems to be the exact opposite where he's taking a lot of check downs. He's playing it much more safe with occasionally taking a shot downfield to Christian Watson or um, dubs. But it seems like He's basically in, at taking the highs off his game in order to eliminate the lows. And I'm not sure how exciting that is after coming off of Aaron Rodgers and Brett Farr. You know, it just seems like he's shooting for the middle, which might be okay. I mean, Alex Smith had a long career, but that's kind of what it seems like at this point. Um, and then uh, moving on, uh, good things out of the rookie tight end, Musk, uh, Luke Musgrave. They've been moving him all over the field. He looks like he's a day one starter, looks like he's going to be a good talent. Uh, He was actually thrown to more often than any other Green Bay Packer by Jordan Love. He had four targets. Yep. And then uh, Jaden Reed 
looked like he took every play in the snap. It looks like it's Watson and Dubs as the starters with Reed coming in as the third uh, third uh, ride receiver and passing situations in 11 personnel, which is good news for him because usually rookies don't carve out a role for themselves that quickly. And um, I think that's about it I have for the Packer rundown. Do you have anything else before we move on? To yeah, Jaden Reed looked very good. Uh, he had two nice plays. Don't I don't want to overstate it. I don't think he's dislodging any of the starters, but he definitely looks like he's going to play a lot this yeah. year. D- Dubs and Watson still look good, too. So both of them. Yes. Yeah. On the Cincinnati side. The big plays that jumped out at people were uh, safety Dax Hill, who broke up a 40 yard pass to Christian Watson. Uh, It was a little off target by love, but it was an excellent breakup that saved a big gain and definitely uh, impacted the stat line of Jordan Love. If that's complete, it's a totally different feeling for look for Jordan Love stats. The other one that we saw was running back Chris Evans, who so far in his career has been entirely a pass catcher, third down back role. And they really want to see what he can do running the football to see if he can be a true number two. And all he did was rip off a 33 yard run, breaking two tackles along the way. So he's definitely thrown his name in there to complicate the number two running back situation. Which is shocking to me because even the guys I know from Michigan who watched him in college said he got tackled by gusts of wind when he was in college. So the fact that he broke two tackles is a really good sign because that's what he his weakest point in his game as a running back. Yeah. So plenty of good things there for both teams to be excited about going forward. The Packers won the game 36-19 for what that's worth. In the first week of the preseason, for the most part, the entire second half are guys that aren't even going to be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So take the the results what you will, but it's how did these people play that can make a really big impact and on how we feel about the team and who's going to make the team. Yep. And speaking of impact players, uh, moving on to Chicago versus the Titans. A lot of Bears fans are very excited. Um, DJ Moore housed a 63-yard screen on his first catch as a Bear. Um, And the next drive, um, Khalil Herbert housed a 50-plus yard uh, screen pass from Justin Fields uh, with two explosive plays. So Fields was 3-for-3 for 129 yards with a perfect passer rating with negative 7 Air yards. All three passes completed were behind the line of scrimmage, <laughs> which is hilarious. So it's it's so funny because it's so polarizing because even the haters are coming out about that, which to me, this is actually a big deal because last year we saw Fields could run the ball. We also saw he could throw the ball pinpoint down the field to a covered receiver, but we did not see his weapons helping him out on checkdowns or underneath passes. So in even the DJ Moore pass, when you watch that play, it wasn't a very accurate pass. DJ helped him out. And then the other thing we saw with both of the touchdowns, as well as a long touchdown, uh, a long uh, 10, 15, 10 plus yard uh, run by Khalil Herbert, the improved offensive line and athleticism was very much on display. The big uglies were getting down the field and even um, Darnell Wright on the swing pass, the, the, the sweep by Khalil Herbert blocked two guys to, to seal the edge. Yeah, we made a big deal during the Chicago bears camp preview about how more, how much more athletic Mm -hmm. this offensive line is. I think it's fair to say that the screen pass defense for the Titans needs work, but these are plays that probably would not have worked last year. 
Yeah, and I don't remember the Bears ever having a good screen game, but being beat by the Packers doing it over and over again in my life. So it was good to see. Um, also, we got some running back uh, clarity. Uh, Khalil Herbert took every snap with the starters, including getting passes thrown to him, which was the big concern is that Khalil Herbert has no fantasy value because he's not going to score touchdowns or catch passes. Uh, and he did much... that in one play. <laughs> exactly. And then um, Deontay Foreman came in with the second team, um, there's still some murkiness to it because last year they rotated two drives for uh, Montgomery, one for Khalil Herbert, which when you look at it, they did the exact same thing, except it's murkier because Foreman came in with the backups. So did he come in with the backups or is that just going to be the rotation is two drives on, two drive, one drive off? Um, Roshan came in as the fourth running back behind Tristan Ebner, but that's no reason to be alarmed. It's oft, it's pretty common for rookies to be buried on the depth chart, especially game one. So that shouldn't be too worried if you love Roshan. There's a good chance you'll hear from him by the end of the year. But I think my confirmation bias will kick in where I thought Herbert was going to win the job, at least start the season and probably have it throughout the rest of the season as long as he's healthy. And that's what we've seen so far. One last thing of the Bears is the defense had, I think, nine or ten sacks um, and a couple of interceptions. Um, I wouldn't get too excited about it. The Titans had the worst offensive line in football last year. They only played one drive with their starting line, and they scored a touchdown on that with Malik Wills as the quarterback. And the rest came against tissue paper backups on the worst line. So I'm not. I'm. I'm going to hold my excitement for the defense, but I'm going to let my offense run rampant. Yeah, more on that Titans offensive line a little bit later. But changing over to the Giants and the Lions, who played uh, earlier in the week, this was a maddening game for Lions fans because there was a lot of good and a lot of bad. First of all, the Lions sat a lot of starters, so this was not a serious we're going to go out there and knock around the Giants kind of effort. They did not play golf. Bridgewater was not officially signed or ready yet, one of the two. Of course, Hendon Hooker's nowhere near ready. So that means that this was the Nate Sudfeld show. He did not disappoint from the standpoint of he absolutely stunk out the joint as bad as you could possibly expect a guy to play. He validated the Teddy Bridgewater signing. Instantly. Mm-hmm. Instantly. Um, I mean, to the he was so bad that I started to wonder, did they sign Teddy Bridgewater just so they had a viable quarterback throwing to the number twos in practice? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just to Jamison, evaluate the bench is is, you know, is Jamison Williams happy just to have Bridgewater on the team because there's somebody that might be able to hit him. I don't know. But, I mean, he Sudfeld was miserable. He had two INTs, one of which was just a prayer into traffic in the middle of the field late in the first half. And for all of Detroit's atheists, their dreams came true. It was, it, it was miserable. He also had two other just drive-killing overthrows. That being said, to be totally fair, J-Mo also dropped a perfect Sudfeld deep corner route that would have been a sure touchdown. Are you concerned about Jameson Williams yet? I was talking to Tony earlier today, and he was just, he reiterated maybe my theory that he might be Ted Ginn is correct. 
my level of concern, if one is, I'm sure he'll get over it, and 10 is a near-death experience, mm-hmm. then I'm at about four to five with JMO. So I'll just try to cheer you up, and also maybe not at the same time. If he has Ted Ginn, I think when Miami had that, that was a disappointment because they needed him. You guys need a compl- Ted, a Ted Ginn-like receiver would be a great compliment to St. Brown and Sam Laporta, in my opinion. So that wouldn't be a loss. Um, also, we've seen Christian Watson make drops last year. We saw Jamar Chase unable to haul in a pass in his entire rookie preseason. So these, those guys turned out fine. So it, I think it's too soon to put the panic meter in, but... Yeah, I'm a little concerned that he'll ever hit that number one receiver in his draft class, but I still think he has a really good role that he can fill, at least to open up the, the field for the rest of them. It sounds like we're in a very similar place. Yeah. He's still got blazing speed. Which helps. He's, he's never going to have elite hands, which is going to make him maddening. Mm-hmm. Like Teddy Gunn. <laughs> yeah, but unless he continues an all-time bad pace. Yeah. With his hands. Like, I believe between his rookie year plus the first game of the regular season, he's been thrown to about 15 times, 16 times, and has like three catches. The, the course for concern is that the two guys I was defending him with did that as rookies and they kind of cleaned it up as the season started. Jamison Williams is heading into his sophomore year, not his rookie yeah. year. Yeah. Um, a lot of guys around here are looking back at Herman Moore's rookie year because he was miserable mm-hmm. before they figured out that he needed glasses ah I mean, we don't have target data back then so we, from that so we can't really say how how much of his stuff was drops mm-hmm. but he will get his yardage my bigger concern with him long term is him doing stupid stuff off the field mm. well he did catch that nice two-point conversion very so good struck of that that was a good play um, on, a, on the flip side, the two rookies, uh, first and second round draft picks, uh, Jack Campbell at linebacker and Brian Branch had really good games. Oh, yeah. Branch lit up as a downfield tackler. He w- he looks like he's just attacking at all times. He looked great. Jack Campbell was the highest rated lion from the first preseason game by Pro Football Focus. Not surprised. And Gibbs even with a vanilla game plan and playing with a lot of backups got, he looked special every time he touched the ball. It it just was funny hearing the lions say he's not a running back. We didn't take a running back that high. He's a weapon. He's an offensive weapon. And then they're just like, Hey, just, but that might be exactly what teams say every time they reach and take an athletic guy way too early. Exactly. That being said too, I don't think they should be giving away, spilling their hand in the preseason if they do plan to use them in creative ways. So I think that was a good call on their part. We've seen Spurrier do that and flame out in a year. The best thing to come out of this for the Lions was the defense. They get, Their offense was miserable. They gave up three short fields in the first half. And by short field, I mean starting inside the 35. Like they're, the other team was starting on the offensive 35-yard line or better. And they only gave up 13 points. Yep. So that is very good. Uh, Some Lions did play through the third quarter. Sudfeld played all the way to the start of the fourth quarter. J-Mo, the Aquaras. So they wanted to get extended looks at some guys. But let's move on to the Steelers and the Buccaneers. 
Uh, Steelers pretty much handled a bad Buccaneers team. Kenny Pickett looked way better than we saw him last year with his decision making. And the offensive line upgrades really seemed to pay off. Mm -hmm. Pickett completed six of seven. He had two third and longs. Last year, the Steelers did not have a scoring play longer than, I think, 32 yards. And they had two in this game. So they really look like they're using the whole field now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And looked like Deontay Johnson remains as the number one target, which he kind of established on the stretch, but we all forgot in the fantasy land because he didn't catch any touchdowns. Uh, Pickett's continues to be the human highlight reel. Um, and the one cause for concern is that Pat Firemuth wasn't playing in two tight end sets. It was uh, Zach Gentry and rookie Darnell Washington, which was surprising because I thought he had a all around skilled set to uh, be a pass blocker. So Maybe he's time to fade him. I don't know if it will have any effect on him in the future. Uh, I wanted to get back to the George Pickens stuff because last year he was a total one trick pony deep threat. You know, hands to reach around the guy as he fails to separate and then yanks the ball away. Kind of. I mean, it was a really nice, spectacular pony, but it was a one trick pony. This was absolutely not that kind of of uh touchdown this was about a 10 yard down the field catch and then jeek zeke and juke and zoom and make about five guys miss going down the field the kind of catch and run ability he didn't show at all last year this is looking like it might be not just a better Steelers team but a much better Steelers team at least on the offensive side running back anthony mcfarland wide receiver calvin austin and tight end connor hayward all had First half highlight real plays that continue their strong camp. Then you come to uh, Fat Slash Kendrick Green is being they're planning to play him as a fullback, but they uh, he was drafted as a guard out of Illinois a couple of years ago, but apparently he looked very miserable at center. And they don't want to roster him as a pure fullback. They want to roster him as a backup interior lineman if he can play good enough so that they can use him at fullback. But it doesn't sound like he's good enough to even justify being the 10th best offensive lineman. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. uh, Kendrick Green kind of has the imagination of some of the Steelers fans and the media because they like to line him up all over the place. But he's just shown that he cannot be an interior lineman he was directly responsible for three drive killing turnover just miserable plays in the span of like five plays that he was at center so they really like him at fullback but they just categorically don't see a standalone fullback as rosterable it's a shame because when they drafted him in the third round in that Najee Fryermuth draft class, I thought he was great, great as a top run blocking guard in the class, but he's so atrocious at pass blocking. He's not even, you know, he's not usable at this point. It sounds like it's going to be hard to roster, but uh, hopefully he can improve on that and make the roster because it'd be fun to watch him moved around and, you know, play big boy playing fullback and stuff. Um, speaking of rookies that I really liked, uh, rookie Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin looked great in an edge role with uh, TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith out. And if he throws into that um, uh, deep pass, pass rushing rotation, he's going to be a gem. And I'm just going to hold my hand up and say I called it 
And I was also loved the fact that he was drafted by the Steelers, who I figured would also utilize him. But he was one of my favorite mid to late round edge rushers. And I'm glad to see him making me look smart. If you go Send back. your flowers to uh, Midwest football <laughs> podcast at gmail.com or just tell us we're idiots, whatever you prefer. Uh, really quickly on the Tampa side, uh, Trask and Baker Mayfield are still going back and forth over the starting quarterback job. Uh, Baker Mayfield started and looked fairly effective, not great with the starters for a drive or two. Then Trask came in and both he and the offensive line looked like they had no idea what was going on. It was ugly. I got no comments on the uh, Bucks. Shall we move on to the next one? <laughs> so this is Baker Mayfield's job, most likely, unless something dramatic happens in the next week when they say Trask is going to start. On to the Browns, who lost to the Commanders 15-17, to 17, but there's a lot here that I really liked from the Browns. Watson was, yeah, he was only 3-for-3, three three, but he showed so much better decision-making than he did last year. And I especially like, like Kenny Rogers says, you got no when to hold him and no when to fold him. With his mobility, knowing when to stand in and when to run is huge for his game. And last year, he was all rusty and confused. Mm-hmm. This year, with the commander's pass rush bearing down, he knew when to fire it off. He knew when to run away. And he was pretty much successful at all of the ones that he did. Yep. Other than that, the big story was probably Elijah Moore, who's mm-hmm. been a gigantic camp standout. He actually took one handoff from the, out of the backfield with the starters for an 18-yard gain, and then at the end of that drive, walked over to the tent and into the locker room. And it doesn't, and might have been mm-hmm. ribs or something like that, but it doesn't look too serious. Yeah, I, I think he's shown enough that if he needs to sit the next couple of weeks, they're going to be more than fine. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> He is super good. Exactly. So it's good to see uh, um, the the Browns throwing a bunch of uh, capital at the skill positions paying off because, you know, they also drafted a couple guys the last two years, but Moore and Cooper look like a really good one-two punch so far, to be honest. And I'm pretty excited if I'm in Cleveland for that. Yeah. The offense did have a turnover on downs on fourth and goal, but otherwise the, the offense looked really good. Um, and Howell did well statistically, despite heavy Browns pressure and poor line play to talk about your guy Mm -hmm. for the commanders. Also, that's also good for the Cleveland Browns because they spent a lot of capital uh, with the defensive line upgrades this year. So to see them putting pressure on Howell, even though he was still making plays, is still really good for the regular season because uh, that was a sieve, at the especially in the running game. So I'm glad to see both the wide receivers and the defensive line look improved the way we thought they would if you listened to our previous podcast. So that was good to see. Yeah, just that little kind of caveat here that Jacoby Brissett, who came on in relief of Howell, was also impressive, although he did have a bad pick to close out the first half. One last thing. I just want to point out the commanders gave the game ball to their new owner, Josh Harris. So they must be just very happy to not have Daniel Snyder as their owner anymore. (laughs) Can you blame them? Right. On to the bills and the Colts. Uh, First of all, this was DeMar Hamlin's first time playing since his scary cardiac incident Mm -hmm. in uh, last December. And I'll see him on the field. 
absolutely. And by all accounts, you look good, too. So it looks like just that freak thing is not going to be something that is going to alter his life in a negative way. Glad to hear it. Goodness. Mm -hmm. Brings a smile to my face. But what doesn't bring a smile to my face is how well Anthony Richardson looked getting the start over uh, Gardner Minshew. He did start over Gardner Minshew, which pretty much tells you that it's going to be Anthony Richardson week one, unless something disastrous mm-hmm. happened. Anthony Richardson played three series. He was inconsistent. He flashed that talent that he has, but it didn't look good statistically. So he's he's a Rorschach test. Well, he he strikes me as the thing where like it reminded me of a little Tim Tebow where he spent all this time working on his form when everything was going well and then once things broke down he um, went back to muscle memory of his poor form that he had that he showed off in college under pressure so we didn't really learn anything new about him when things are going well great he can make the highlight throws when things go down uh, break down things get really bad and that's what we saw in college that's what we saw here. Nothing to no cause for panic because we always thought he was a project anyways. And Shane Steichen was going to bring him on a couple year plan. And I think it's good to just start him over Gardner Minshew now because he needs reps more than anything, in my opinion. And if they lose games because they're getting him acclimated, guess what? They won three games of Peyton Manning's rookie year, and that worked out pretty well for them. I'm not saying he's going to be Peyton Manning, but just keep put, putting him in there, you know, yeah. get him some reps, get him, get him going. He's, he yeah. shows some flashes. Colts fans that watch the game are happy because they're looking at him and they're seeing at Richardson and they're seeing a guy that thinks they are seeing enough there that he's not going to totally stink out the place. We'll see. Um, there were some good points for the, the Colts. The uh, starting offensive line was fine. They struggled a little bit with uh, blitz pickup, but they weren't a problem here. And that's a very good sign considering how bad they backslid last year. Uh, They also had just an electric punt return at the end of that game to keep it close. But when the backups came into the game for the offensive line, they stunk out the place like they couldn't even evaluate any of the backup quarterbacks because they were just under pressure the whole time. Mm. They also had their kicking woes continue. Despite giving Matt Gay the biggest free agent contract a kicker's ever gotten in NFL history, he went out there and shanked a 28-yard field goal wide right. Matt Gay in one year will make more than uh, Jonathan Taylor's entire rookie contract or almost as much. Let's not talk about that again, but moving on. (laughs) Yeah. And just in case you're wondering who else is here, there's only one other place kicker on the roster, a guy named Lucas Haversick, and he missed his only extra point attempt. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Yes, it was outside in Buffalo and yes, it was windy. But come on. It's not the winter. This isn't Buffalo in January. Like, this is summer. If you're a highly paid NFL kicker, you need to make a 28-yard field goal. There are 32 starting jobs in the NFL, in the country. Um, you got to be able to make an extra point. Exactly. On to the Vikings, who lost to the Seahawks 13-24. to Vikings did not take this game seriously at all. They... Bench 17 starters for the game, if you count the fullback, C.J. Ham as one of the starters. 
They also did not play right tackle Brian O'Neill, who's still rehabbing from his Achilles surgery from last year. The big news that they had was that uh, backup running back second year uh, Ty Chandler looked really good. I believe the stat was he faced 90 plus percent of his uh, carries with a eight man front (laughs) and still managed positive yardage. So when you look at the stat line, it looks kind of pedestrian until you realize that almost a hundred percent of those yardage was after contact because he looked that good. So it looks like he probably did everything he could to show up the backup role behind Madison who had the day off, but yet they still brought in Kareem Hunt for a visit just afterwards. Yeah. Looking at him on carry per carry basis, he was getting smacked at or a little bit behind the line of scrimmage and still getting seven, eight, nine yards mm-hmm. on multiple plays. So he's starting to look like he should be the clear number two in mm-hmm. this for this team behind Madison. But like we said, Kareem Hunt, real popular all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen here. And they have multiple really good backs. Yeah. And he did outshine uh, shine a rookie Dwayne um, McBride, but you know, still young. And, yeah. and 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 Chandler looked good as a rookie last year in the preseason too, but didn't really play much because you know they saw Dalvin Cook and Allison, Alexander Madison last year. So, yeah, this did allow the Vikings to get uh, Mullins, the backup quarterback, an extended look with the starters. Well, the starters that played starters yeah (laughs) which included guys like addison and that sort of thing but then when the fifth round rookie jaron hall came in with you know practice squad guys the he had linemen constantly in his face like the offensive line as we predicted was a serious issue for this team the entire game Mm -hmm. it was so thin that you can't even evaluate the backups yeah even with the uh they had so many starters out to begin with. It was like, you know, it was like that uh, Tampa game is you're dealing with the backups on an already bad line. The other big story for the Vikings was, again, a negative one. There were five first half penalties against the Vikings that were accepted by Seattle. That was called out by the coaching afterwards. Ugh. It's looking sloppy on top of everything else. So, but I would say that. Minnesota started uh, the the game in that new three safety look that we were talking about, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. were using the safeties uh, as, as sort of underneath coverage guys, and then blitzing the snot out of Ivan Pace as a you know to get pressure, and it was moderately effective. But we'll say, see how it works in the Ivan in Pace. The future. I believe was an undrafted free agent. I think he might, they might've found a gem in him. He's definitely outperforming his draft capital, which I think was none. So I think that was a good sign. And I agree. Like what you were saying is that three safety look is essentially replacing one of the linebackers with a safety. So they can still put seven in the box, but improve their coverage skills. So they're not giving up the run in order to stop the pass. And I think that'll be interesting to monitor in the future because that might be a good hedge against uh you know, teams that just go to nickel back, just nickel packages to start and then get run on. And with the first preseason game in the books, we can uh, do a little bit of uh, what we're here for. The fantasy football aspect, which is what makes NFL so much fun. 
And this is uh, going to be an interesting one because we handled quarterbacks and tight ends last week. This week we're doing the very, very juicy and controversial running backs this year. It's a year unlike any other in the, that I can remember in the past, as well as defense and special teams. Absolutely. There's so many more names for running backs than any position except for wide receiver. In most leagues, historically, this has been where the winners have been decided. The best running back won standard formats uh, for many years until fairly recently. With the NFL devaluing running backs, and we're not going to get on the high horse Mm -hmm. there again. There's plenty of our rants in different places. It's a real year of transition where many of the name running backs are starting to get not exactly older because what counts as old for a running back keeps shifting. The biggest challenge as a fantasy owner is how you organize this into a draft list that actually makes sense. And most of us that are longtime fantasy players are familiar with the concept of tiers. These guys in this tier are all close, but there's a drop to get to these guys in the next tier. And good way so to get on. value is get the last guy of the tier, not the first guy of the tier, etc. Unless you're doing auction. What I wanted to do here is share the kinds of things that I look for when I'm putting guys into tiers. Because if you're just going from the perspective, well, these guys are better than these guys who are better than those guys, then it's pretty much turning your list into a Rorschach test. And unless you're legitimately an expert, then that's a really, really hard way to do it because you have to be right on all of those guesses. It, But if you evaluate your tiers correctly, it makes that sort of process a whole lot easier. So here's a system that's worked for me, and I'm going to try and wrap this up in not a whole lot of time. I use 10 tiers every year, and this is specifically designed for a... Uh, standard format, shallow league with long-term options. But you it wouldn't take very serious tweaks to make this work for any other kind of format. You just have to know your format. So know your format, that whole rant from last week, that still applies. You can take any list and adjust it. Exactly. Let's start this from the top. What does a tier one running back look like? Top six upside, high floor, you name it. Touchdowns, catches. The metric I use is 60% of team carries, including quarterback carries. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a quarterback taking a big chunk, then there's a good chance they're going to steal goal line, and it's not going to be pretty. You want a guy that, that averages at least two or three receptions a game because those catches are valuable. Even if they're not PPR. Yardage still counts. Well, even if you're in a non-PPR those are still more efficient touches than lining up in first and 10 at your own 35-yard line. These are the guys that are young, no serious sets for their job, average offense, you know, that kind of thing. Your Christian McCaffrey's, your Saquon Barkley's. Mm-hmm. Tier two is the near elite, which is similar, but there's one thing wrong. You know, Austin Eckler is all of that, but he's getting up there in age. Nick mm-hmm. Chubb is all of that, but he gets minimal passing work. This is this is also where I put projected elite rookies like Bichon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we yeah he might be one to, uh, three down back and everything, but we haven't seen it, so you exactly. can't put him in tier one. We and we don't know how effective Atlanta is around him to put him in a position to succeed. Tier three is the boomer bust guys. This is your Derrick Henry. He looks like a tier one, but he's twenty nine. This is guys coming off of major injuries who had otherwise been tier ones. This is guys that are starting to show declines of inefficiency, but still project to an elite workload. And then tier fours, the rest of the veteran starters. So those are your guys that, you know, like Mixon your... or Madison type or something. Yeah. Non elite rookies that are projected to start go there. Clear fantasy starters that don't meet the tier one, two criteria go here. And then you've got, and usually three and four can be intermixed depending upon a person's appetite for risk. The rotational starters are like your value veterans. These are your undisputed starters on awful offenses, your 50, 50 committee backs, your between the tackles thumpers with no passing down work, but the goal line. If you're in full PPR, this is where you put your pass catching backs with some rushing upside. If you're not in full PPR, these those guys are lower. Upside stashes are tier six. You're not hot rookies. You're veterans that aren't elite tier, but they're coming in your bounce back guys. Handcuffs with benefits. You know, those guys all go in here. And then your bench, your pure bench. The true committee guys, because you got to love those murky depth charts. You don't want to totally fade a committee back because you might get somebody who ends up being the starter. Your high upside handcuffs come after that. That's tier eight. Tier nine is your lottery tickets, your pure handcuffs that have starter upside. And lastly, what I call roster poison, which are the guys that are never going to be good enough to start but are not bad enough that you feel good about cutting these are guys you don't want they prevent you from making roster roster turn at waivers and getting the next hot starter coming off an injury i've had that issue in the past you know that's that's where you have guys like pure pass catchers or pure goal line runners you know Mm. of guys that project if everything goes their way to be the 25th running back Unless you're in a super deep format where you have to start four running backs, mm-hmm. that guy has no value. Yeah. I want to expand upon the uh, murky backfields that you touched on. One of the lessons that I've learned over the last few years is generally we fear the murky backfields. I remember uh, the lesson learned that I had was two years ago with both Washington and uh, the Jaguars. I just was looking at their backfields and I'm like, I want nothing to do with any of this. I'm steering clear of this and emerging from Jacksonville was James Robinson, undrafted rookie free agent was a top five running back. And from Washington, Antonio Gibson finished top 15 and scored double digit touchdowns. So these guys are what they call league winners because you could have gotten them off the waiver wire. You could have gotten them late in your draft and they're worth grabbing and stashing Oftentimes the murky backfield, the real value is getting the third or fourth guy because you can get them for next to nothing and they have just as good a chance to start. And guess what? If they're not starting, they're easy to cut. They're not roster poison. You can move on when you find out there is clarity. So that is one strategy to look into is don't be afraid of the murky backfield situation. Dive into it. 
churn out the uh, second or third or fourth guy. Go grab your Roshan Johnson. Go grab, you know, your next year's James Robinson, et cetera. So don't be afraid of that, but don't overdraft him. Exactly. I was just going to highlight that. Don't overdraft him because you want to get these guys at appropriate times, be aware of where they're going in drafts. You could reach a little bit, but you shouldn't be reaching rounds and rounds. And and they're good to have as your like third or fourth or fifth guy because they could have top twenty upside, but they also could be cut the next week. So yeah, you don't want to. You don't want them as your starter. Where you're relying on them. Exactly. Like the Philadelphia backfield this year is a great example of that. On to the next thing. So we're going to talk about some guys that we think are overrated or underrated, kind of like we did with the quarterbacks last week. But I'm going to do a little rant on my own take of uh, running backs this year. It's a kind of a pet peeve I had last year as well as this year. Um, In general, I dive into the analytics community. I like following the underlying metrics to help project forward instead of react to, you know, fluky games. But running back is a situation where I found myself disagreeing with um, a lot of the advanced metrics guys that have helped me win championships in the past. And this is where I'm going to be taking a stand today for the rest of the, uh, the podcast on the running backs, because I just think that they've gone too far. And I think a lot of it is PPR format love because someone has done the math that one catch for a point plus two yards is 12 points versus a 12 yard run. And they tend to overvalue the running backs who catch the ball, but aren't good running backs. And then they fade guys who are the two down thumpers that are still workhorses that are really good in not in standard format. Um, but now their values because people don't want guys like, I mean, for example, we'll touch touch on him a little bit later, but just as a, a week ago, Khalil Herbert was an RB 20, 39 in underdog. That's an RB four in that format as the lead back because he's perceived to have no value as a touchdown scorer because Justin Fields is going to take all of it and he's not going to catch any passes because Justin Fields won't check down. And you can get value in guys that are two down backs where you couldn't in the past. Those guys were, you know, um, this is where the analytics go too far. Meanwhile, in the past last year, there was a lot of advice to fade these guys and then come back around and get Chase Edmonds and Rashad White and James Cook as your RB2. And that often failed people, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, how'd that work out? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm hearing the same drum. So um, before we get onto it, shall we get onto it? So I'll, I'll use some more examples later, but let's go on to the over-under, shall we? Do you want to start? Do you want to start or shall I? Absolutely. Overrated or underrated. Let's start with Najee Harris, who's currently going at running back number 11. So he's a great one because the advanced metrics guys do not like him. They're all on board the Jalen Warren train. Najee Harris is an inefficient running back that cannot, uh, that is losing volume share to Jalen Warren. So therefore he will not return value as RB 11. I'm going the opposite way as well as a lot of the general people uh, population because as a rookie in half point PPR, he finished number six overall. Now, granted, washed up Ben Roethlisberger was checking down a lot. And then a lot of people got burned by him last year, taking him in the first round, and he did not play well until the bye week because he had a plate in his foot and he was slown. And then Jalen Warren started to emerge. But after the bye week, 
when Jalen Warren went from four touches a game to nine touches a game, Najee Harris went from 16 to 20 a game and was much healthier and more efficient. And he ended up the RB seven in points per game down the stretch. So three quarters of his career, he's been a top seven running back. So the fact that people don't want him as an RB 11 tells me he's being drafted beneath what his floor is, in my opinion. So I think Najee Harris at RB 11 is very much underrated. Um, And we also seen the Steelers make gains to the offensive line, which definitely hampered his efficiency in the past. And also the little Trubisky experiment to start last year where he was not checking down to him where Pickett does more often, more like Roethlisberger did two years ago. All the running back haters out there will continue to tell you that you don't need to be an elite talent to be a productive running back in the NFL. This is the core of the argument for why people are saying running backs should never be paid ever. Here we have it. He's got the workload. He can function in the passing down role. Mm -hmm. So he does have a strong backup by my system. He is at worst a tier three, probably a tier two, Mm -hmm. which means that he is a clear starter. And that number 11 running back spot is probably low. And just to add the cherry on top, his career comp was Derrick Henry that could catch. And Henry started off the gate slow, too. The first couple of years, they considered him very inefficient until Tannehill got there. And then people said, see, Tannehill's what made him efficient. And now people are going back on that saying, actually, maybe he made Tannehill look good. But we'll see. If Najee Harris makes that elite jump, he could be the next Derrick Henry that can catch the ball, which case he has RB1 overall potential. And if not... He's a top 10 running back that you're drafting outside the top 10. I love him. Underrated. Yeah, maybe there's some uh, reason for caution in long-term formats, but I'm not. That's not going to matter to the super majority of people playing. He's heading into his third year. <laughs> but you're right. People have are fading him in Dynasty. So our next guy is uh, another uh, third year back, Travis Etienne, fellow first round draft pick in the uh, class 20, uh, 2021. Um, this is his basically his third year, but is his second year playing because he was redshirted as a rookie. He's currently RB15. Do you think he's overrated or underrated at this point? Uh, I think he is underrated. It blows my mind that people think that Travis Etienne can't catch the football because he didn't last year. Did it in college a lot. He he did it a lot in college. Exactly. Same quarter. So if you are right now, he's the running back 15. If you are in a standard format, that's probably close to appropriate, uh, but it's still under. If you're in a PPR format, now that they are actually hopefully going to have legitimate downfield targets and the underneath is going to open up more, then I think that there's room for significant improvement here for Travis Etienne. Although you do have to keep an eye on Tank Bigsby, who has a very strong role for a rookie right now. Agreed. And my take is similar. Like he, like Najee is polarizing that the advanced guys are fading him because he can't catch or score touchdowns. And the touchdown thing is true. He was one of the worst efficiency running backs in the red zone, which is why they drafted tank Bigsby. 
And he did not catch a lot of passes last year, or at least he wasn't prolific the way people thought he was. But despite being basically a two-down role that didn't score touchdowns or catch passes, he was still top 20 running back. So once again, you're buying him at his floor. But what happens if he shows the catching skills he did in college? Or what if he improves his between the tackles running and becomes more decisive in the red zone and scores more than four touchdowns. Again, he has RB one overall upside with his talent. And even if he doesn't, he can score a touchdown from anywhere on the field. So even if he's only a two down back between the twenties, he still has great. He can still give you good points. Touchdowns are one of the most erratic stats from year to year in fantasy football do not chase touchdowns high and keep an eye open for guys that have an unexpectedly low touchdown total based on their usage because they're probably going to be undervalued so when i see he only scored four touchdowns as his a pseudo rookie i think there's a good chance he regresses to the mean and maybe scores six to eight next year and the big thing about holding that back is the presence of tank bigsby I've been fading Tank all offseason. I thought he was just a guy. But of all the rookies, he was the only one week one of the preseason that had a single snap with the first team. So, and it was a third and one. So it does, there is indication that Tank Bigsby will be taking over some of that goal line role. So I will cool my jets on ETN a little bit, but I still think at RB15, he's still, worst case, that's his floor, or at least near his floor. And he has got way upside. James Cook, Buffalo, running back 26 on Yahoo, overrated or underrated? By the way, for those of you who have not heard, Yahoo's uh, running back rankings are completely standard, non-PPR, one point for 10 yards, six for a rushing touchdown, six for a receiving touchdown, minus two for a fumble. So James Cook at RB26, I think he's overrated. And this is just goes back to my going against the analytics grain where they love him because he can catch the ball. But shout out to Ray GQ from Fantasy Pros. He did a great rookie evaluation where he showed he was not even a top 20 running back at his position as a rookie coming out of college. But he was a good You pass mean catcher. in college? In college, yeah. And wow. He did not look great as a pure between the tackles runner last year, but we look at the highlights of him catching swing passes, which he can do. So he has value, but he's the guy you get like um, Jermichael Hasty or something like that. You know, like that's kind of what he is, but he has a little bit more explosiveness to him. So, but people are drafting him as the explosive pass catcher that can also run between the tackles. In my experiences, those guys often fall out of faith with the quarterback coaches who want a guy who can run the ball up the middle and get them positive yards. And that's why I think the addition of Damian Harris, who is a prolific top 10 tackle breaker that they signed from New England, I think he's going to get a lot of role in there as a two-down thumper. And the other thing, too, is James Cook is in one of those offenses where Josh Allen doesn't throw the ball to his running backs. He calls his own number when the pressure's on and he just takes off running. Yeah, not to dismiss the talent, of James Cook, which is considerable, but he's just at this point in his career, not good as a runner. He's great in space. So in a way, he's almost like a slot receiver, but he's not good enough to play receiver. And that's the issue. Yeah. So and coaches hate it when they telegraph their play calling with their personnel. 
They want a guy, they would rather have a guy who is not as good of a pass catcher, but is a threat to both catch and and run. Yeah, and James Cook's role really is in the two-minute drill when the other teams are expecting run or expecting passes, and he can go out and make his plays. But other than that, they right. kind of have to scheme up what they're doing for him in order to show out. Now, he did have a good preseason game. I'm just, you know, but I still think at RB26, he is very overpriced in my opinion. I yeah. like getting those guys way later in the draft because you can get guys like that, like a Gainwell type or, you know, Sproles back in the day. Yeah, this is where my tiering system saves me because I would historically look at the this this kind of a player in the offense that I would want and overdraft him. Mm-hmm. This keeps mm. me guys from from moving guys too far up based purely on, say, the offense that they're in. And it forces me to remember their role. Yeah. So and it's a good call because Buffalo is a high powered offense. People want a piece of that pie. I'll just wait and get Damian Harris later. And if he doesn't show out, I can cut him and move on. But I'm not taking paying the premium to get a, one of those running backs, in my opinion. So that yeah. kind of ties us off with the murky backfield. If you don't know who the starter is, oftentimes grab the later guy because you can get you can fill out the rest of your roster with more short bets early on. Here's a Rorschach test. Javante Williams, Denver, running back 27. High or low? Very, very high. Um, I just, I so I think he is very overrated this year, which hurts me to say because I think he is one of the great running back talents in the league at the moment. I just think that Denver is too rosy on his injury. It's a 15-month injury. It was an ACL plus and I I have I want nothing to do with him this year in redraft leagues. I think he's a great buy low in uh, long term leagues. But when I follow um, the sports medic uh, sports MD analyst uh, the Twitter for Deepak Chona MD, great sports doctor gives uh, timelines for this. He said he was a fourteen month uh, fifteen month injury, likely to not really see the field until November in which case your fantasy season's already kind of over. And it's similar to like J.K. Dobbins last year, who also they made they, they were also making this uh, smoke and mirrors thing saying J.K. Dobbins was fine for the season, and then we didn't see him. And then he, they said he was fine, then we didn't see him. And then he stepped on the field, hobbled off, got a scope, cleaned up his knee, came back, averaged 5.7 yards per carry, but did it with a limp. And I'm just not drafting a guy at number 27 overall for running backs to basically hope he can come back week 14 or just in time for the playoffs. Because even when he comes back in time for the playoffs, I don't think you're going to trust him to start unless you just had a stud running back that carried you into the playoffs, have a season ending injury going into week 13 or something. That's the only situation I can see you grabbing him in my opinion. If I had to make the decision right now today, that's probably too high of a price point for me. But there are situations where you can look at Javante Williams and pull the trigger at running back 27 if it's not in, like, the fifth round. If you're talking about, like, a seventh round running back in a league where you can put him on IR and not worry about the roster spot. It's fair. You can IR him. Or it's a very deep bench. Then this is a legitimate thing, especially if I see him start to take preseason snaps and he doesn't look like he's got a peg leg. That's fair. 
this is basically where people were drafting him under the assumption that he was going to miss at least the first part of the season. Denver is making every intimation that he's not going to miss any time at all. Rosie, you make a great point that I'm not sure we should believe that. Yeah. I'm following the sports doctor that's pretty accurate the last couple of years. But go yeah. on, to cut you off. But if we start to see it and he looks okay, but I was a J.K. Dobbins owner last year and I was burned badly. He held you hostage so, all year, especially because he kept coming off the IR. Yeah. He was on and then he was off and then he was on again. And then he was looked good when he was running with an almost six yards per carry, except he looked like he was literally dragging one leg as he was off to full speed. Yeah. And I really don't want Javante Williams to go through that. I hope they take their time with him. And if he is legitimately ready, that's great. It means he's an even bigger physical freak than we wanted. Mm -hmm. And I will say this. I liked his physical draft profile over Najee and Etienne of that same draft class. So I'm rooting for him to come back fully healthy. I just don't think it matches the timeline. And you brought up a good point. It's draft capital. Are you drafting him in the fifth round or the eighth round? There's a big difference because if you're drafting him in the fifth round, you're basically counting on he's your RB3 or your RB2. And if he's your RB3, you are already behind at tight end and wide receiver or quarterback or one of those other positions. And you're handicapping your team, hoping that. But if he's a later pick, like eighth or later, he might be more worth it. I still think eighth is pretty high capital for someone who might miss half the season, in my opinion. Um, There's a lot of injuries in football. So why start the year with a guy highly drafted or middle round drafted already behind the eight ball, in my opinion. Um, I'm willing to, I tend, but I also tend to fade injured players just because um, that's just me. They usually take a comp. They usually take a little bit of time to come back from injuries. So even when they come back, there's a ramp up period. And that's the time that I like to grab them because people come off the IR, they start the first game, they don't look good. The owner that's held on to him for 10 months or 10 weeks panics, cuts him, and that's when I jump in. I think that's a good uh, way to look at long-term injured players here. But let's go on to the next one. Our last overrated, underrated, Brian Robinson Jr., Washington. Running back number 34, is he overrated or underrated? I think he's overrated. Um, I'd like to, do you, do you remember, um, can you look this up where Antonio Gibson's going, his teammate in Washington? 31st. 31st. Oh, so he's 31st, oh, I, 32nd, a little bit higher. Oh, okay. And, and when I've been seeing it before, Robinson was going ahead of Gibson. So I guess the Gibson train is pulled out of the station. Um, I think Brian Gibson, Robinson. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. On Yahoo, he's going, they're 34 and 35. So they're the same. Oh, so guy. they're back to back. Okay. So I personally would just rather have Gibson. He's a better all around skill set, in my opinion. Um, Robinson is a great new story after surviving the gunshot wound last year in training camp and everything. But there's a certain point we have to separate the story from the reality of what type of player they are. And even before that happened, I just looked at his draft profile as an okay guy. He reminded me of fellow Alabama running back TJ Yeldon or Ohio State guy uh, Antonio Pittman, where these guys had nice long careers in the NFL, but you never were excited to start them in fantasy football. They were kind of guys that you spot started for a little bit when you needed to, but 
and they're reliable, steady Eddie. They get you your three point something yards per carry. They don't fumble. Coaches like having them on the roster, but I just I just don't think they're very exciting. So you can draft them as your RB thirty six, and I think RB thirty six or thirty four is basically his ceiling. So I, I just don't think there's a lot of upside there. I think in a vacuum. I, I like the idea of Brian Robinson because I think he's going to show significantly better this year than he did last year. I definitely like him better than Antonio Gibson. To me, they're not tied, mm. but it's still overrated because he's not going to be a huge PPR guy. Yeah, he's not. He's better in standard. I agree. And in a standard league, I'd rather have Jamal Williams, who's going afterwards. Same. I'd rather have Damian Harris, who's going af- afterwards. Same. I'd probably rather have Elijah Mitchell, who's going yeah. afterwards. Underrated value. And I'm intrigued by Zach Charbonnet, who's going afterwards also. I think he's going to have some passing down role there. I think Charbonnet is just a better talent, in my opinion. But so. it, it, but to your point, too, like I'm also not super excited by Antonio Gibson this year. His big skill set is cast catching because he was a receiver uh, convert. We haven't really seen it. And now he's got a running quarterback in Sam Howell that is less likely to check it down to him anyways. Yeah. So I do think these guys are closer. And if Robinson gets the touchdown, uh, the, the goal line role, I think he is still the guy to get, despite what I said earlier. Yeah, I mean, the dude was shot with a gun right before his rookie season in the NFL. Yeah. That's got to be tough enough. Yeah. And that, that's why I wanted to specifically say I was fading before he got shot, but I could be wrong. We've, you know, we've seen Tank Bigsby climbing the ladder already. So right. let's let's move back to the top of the list and let's go back to our uh, from our overrated, underrated segment to Joe and I are each going to pick one high end buyer beware. Joe, would you like to start us off with your guy? Yeah, Derek Henry is mine here where a buyer beware is not exactly a bust, but you want to be really careful with how high you're drafting him. Henry is the running back seven in uh, Yahoo uh, expert rankings right now. And you don't want to be the guy who's taken him in round one or very high round two, even in a standard league, which is about where he's going in a typical friends and family league. You know, your ESPN, your Yahoo. But Joe, you're getting him in a discounted RB7. This guy's been a top three stud every year he's played, and now you're getting him in the second round. What's to fade about him? Like the worst offensive line in the NFL, like you were saying earlier, for one <laughs> thing. That is a great starting point. Let's start there. You've got Tannehill and two remarkably inaccurate young passers behind him. So they're even though they've got great outside receivers mm-hmm. with DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks, they don't have a whole lot that's going to take the pressure off and force the safeties back yet. So I think that if you are going to invest in Derrick Henry, and you can get him in the late second round or even better the third because you've got a wide receiver heavy format, that's fine. I've got no problem there. And I do think that he is close to appropriate among running backs because there's just so many question marks with running backs this year. Mm-hmm. That that boom bust here, is, which is normally like one or two guys for me, is like eight this year. I have a question though. One thing, one thing I found interesting about reasons why you have a buyer beware. The typical starting point is just the mileage on. 
it's not that his age, but he's also been getting 400 touches a game, uh, a season, which has been unsustainable, except he continues to plow through 400 touch uh, se- um, seasons. And I think you kind of answered the question just now. He's in a tier where pretty much everybody's in that same boat. Like, will he fall off a cliff? Will he not? I don't know. But he's got one, number one overall upside. So, but yeah, buyer beware. He could fall that's why the That's why he's the boom bust here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's been a walking ab- historical aberration. He has been a complete genetic freak for his entire career. But sooner or later, that's got to stop. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a 400 carry, 1500 yard rusher with no passing and breakaway speed when he's 40. He could try till he's 45 and be the Tom Brady of running backs, so. though. We'll see about that. But. <laughs> Who do you have for your high-end buyer beware? So I'm going even higher. I'm going with the consensus RB2 overall, Austin Eckler. And this is a this is just a gut feeling. I faded him last year and he burned me. I mean, I still did well, but he was in top two running back overall. I think he was number one. Um, he's still got the passing upside, but he caught he he scored an abnormally high amount of touchdowns because Joel Lombardi offense, they checked the ball down a lot. They liked he liked um neutering Justin Herbert's big arm by making him throw underneath like he was, you know, Drew Brees in late in his career. I think with Kellen Moore there running the offense, they're gonna push the ball down the field, which is gonna help uh the uh receivers score more touchdowns, in my opinion. Austin Eckler is twenty-eight, and Derrick Henry is the oldest at twenty-nine. But Eckler's also a much smaller back, and you know, and I just I just would rather go with one of the running backs. If I'm if I'm taking a top six pick in my redraft, I would rather have a Tyreek Hill or a Jamar Chase or a Jefferson or et cetera, you know, Cooper Cup. One of these guys that's more likely to finish the season because I just think the risk of him falling apart at this point in his career is too high um, for me to risk it, in my opinion. You're, dra- you know, one of those things. So buyer beware. The last two years... Austin Eckler has scored 38 touchdowns. <laughs> wow. 18 I, last year, 20 the year before. Yeah, and if that comes down to 10 or 8, he will not return value at all. He's got to score 20 touchdowns to return his ADP. I'm doing it. some I'm doing some quick math here. Okay. And, and by the way, he is better in PPR for the record. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not as strong on buyer beware in a PPR format because he does catch a lot of passes, but, but I'm still even at standard and half point. I'm a little uh, leery on him. In the four years of his career prior to that, he had 25 touchdowns total. So six a game, six a season. And I think that's probably more likely to return, especially with the offensive scheme change where they're not featuring the running back as much. Yeah, in long-term formats, especially buyer beware, because I really feel like the cliff is coming for Eckler. Yeah, he's a sell now in Dynasty, unless you are currently a contender, in which case try to win your championship with him while he still has his uh, wheels on his legs. Who are we staying away from in the mid-rounds here? So for me, it's Miles Sanders. I know he got the biggest free agency contract to sign with the Carolina Panthers, and he did really well last year in Philadelphia, but he was playing behind the best offensive line and had a career year, but he still didn't crack the top 15 in most formats. 
Now he's being drafted RB19, which is about what he was last year. But as we saw Carolina's offensive line failing to protect Bryce Young in the first game, um, it is not the offensive situation that Philadelphia was last year. And those touchdowns are going to come down. uh, And Miles Sanders isn't a prolific pass catcher, so he's not uh, going to be catching a lot of dump passes while the Panthers are trailing. That's probably going to be Chuba Hubbard. So I just think that it's going to be really lucky if he returns his RB20 or RB19 ADP. He's likely to be startable. I think he might be like RB24, but I don't think he's winning you any leagues. If your RB2 is RB24, you are a last place team. <laughs> I, you and I are actually on the same uh, kind of mentality where we're coming from for our mid round stay away. For me, it's Damian Pierce mm. running back uh, number 18 from Houston. And let's be clear. If you are in a deeper format where you must start three or four running backs, these guys are not stay aways. Agreed. Uh, these guys, this, this is a stay away. If you are in a format where you start two running backs and at most one flex. Yeah. And the reason is basically what Brian just said. He is in a bad offense. There is all kinds of data that shows that running backs in bad offenses, even if they are the guy, are not going to be top 10 running backs. That means they're not winning you the league unless you get them for the price of basically free because and you load it up everywhere else. It's funny that we picked the two workhorse running backs in the offenses that drafted one and two overall with rookie running quarterbacks. <laughs> Yeah, we were looking for similar things, I Low, guess. Lower lower ceilings. So, yeah. I do like what Damian Pierce showed in year one. I do like the contract that they gave Miles Sanders. That tells me they're committed to him. Mm-hmm. They'll be there. That means, that means that they will be able to contribute to a team, but don't look for them to be studs. You're, you, they're swings for the middle. Exactly. And we're fans of the Ricky Bobby strategy here. First or less, baby. Or last. Shake and bake. Basically, unless coming in last place in your league means you have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. (laughs) First or last. (laughs) Exactly. So speaking of that, how do we get there from the mid-round? So if these two guys are swinging for the middle, who might get us to the top in the same instead of them that we could draft? I like Alexander Madison here. You know, in the interest of full disclosure, most of the running backs from... 15 to 35 make me throw up in my mouth a little. But if I had to pick one, the one I'm picking is probably Alexander Madison because we have seen him have tremendous success when given the role against not elite defenses and when they are not way behind. So he does have that top five, top 10 upside if they give him the ball and let him do his thing. That he, you're getting him this late because he doesn't have the breakaway ability of Dalvin Cook, and there are talented backups. He is volume dependent, and if he starts to go into a timeshare, he's going to splat. So I just want to add to your point. So I think you missed it. Uh, he's RB22 in the Yahoo rankings, so he is going behind Pierce and Miles Sanders. And I agree with you. He has he has better uh, top ten upside because he's just in a better offense. They're not going to have stacked boxes like Ty Chandler faced in the preseason. They got Jefferson, they got Addison, they got Hawkinson to stretch the field. They're going to be more touchdown opportunities. So even if it was the exact same talent, he's a better value and he's going later. 
But also, like you said, we've seen it. He's been good in Dalvin Cook's replacement. So I think that's a good um, swing for the fences. He has a little more risk because I think he's got tougher backups with Chandler, as we mentioned, and Dwayne McBride breathing down his neck, whereas the guys in Houston and Carolina, Hubbard and Devin Singletary, they're the definition of just yeah. a guy. So Yeah, but that's why you're getting him for the low number two price. Who do exactly. you have for your uh, swing for the fences sleeper? Mine is RB21 going one ahead of Madison, uh, Rams running back Cam Akers. He has had a weird career where he's two years removed from the Achilles, but he looked great down the stretch. He had weird stuff in the – so he's not, he's not without risk either. So he had weird stuff where Sean McVay basically told him to go packing at the beginning of the season. And then in the second half of the season, he was a top five RB down the stretch despite – no Matt Stafford, no Cooper Cup. The offense was terrible, and he's still putting up 100 yards a game and scoring touchdowns in the worst offense in the league. So if you are if you can buy that, that is what he is, which he always had good talent, but he came out and got that horrific Achilles injury. Um, and we forget about that. Even last year when he was playing two years ago, when he came back from the Achilles, he just wasn't the same. Well, guess what? You can buy the rebound on someone who's fully healthy. And then if Stafford and Cup are back there, the offense looks good again. He's going to have more touchdown upside. There's really nobody behind him. I mean, there's I, I don't even I couldn't even name these guys. Kyron Williams, et cetera. He's a small, slow guy. That's the best argument for Cam Akers, in my opinion. So he's a he's going twenty one, and he's top five upside because we've seen him at least in short periods. He might not maintain that for the whole season, but he's a top like Madison going outside the top twenty. Top 10 upside. I love those swings for the fences in the mid round. And if they don't pan out, they're not your start. They're not your main guy anyways. And you can, they're easier to move on from than someone who's like Pierce or Sanders, who just kind of continue to be low end starters and technically sort of roster starter poison. And what about your late round sleeper? Mine is Khalil Herbert. Um, he might be moving up the chain after last, after the game, the preseason game where he was shown he is the starter, but he was the head of a murky backfield. So a lot of people were fading him. He was going outside of the top 36. He was going as a RB four. Um, he is now currently RB 31. So he is going as a mid level RB three, but I still think he's going to return top 20 value. Um, even if he doesn't get a lot of touchdowns because field steals him and doesn't get a lot of catches, he's still shown he's a very fast and efficient running back. That's good at tackle breaking. And he outshined Montgomery the last two years, despite Montgomery being a very good running back and it's his turn. Uh, he's got the backfield. We might see Foreman and Johnson rotate in with him, but I still think he's going to get two thirds of the, uh, um, the snaps, this year. And I think he's going to be a high efficiency running back. So you're getting him in the mid, you know, as a, as your RB three or four in all formats. And I think he's going to be an RB two. You're going to be comfortable starting him. He might not have the upside of Madison or acres as a top 10, but I think he's going to be a great starter. If you need a, in a pinch and he might exceed it. Bears offense could be better than we think. If you're buying this floor. Yeah. I, for me, I am all over D- Devon a chain. Ooh, yeah, I rookie for Miami at for, at running back 47. So you're getting him for a low four or high five, depending on how many teams. Yeah, that's right. I don't though. care the format. I am doing everything I can to walk out of my drafts with a chain because um, now that I know where all of the elite running backs have landed and none of them went to Miami, mm-hmm. there is 
to me, it's only a matter of time before A-Chain is controlling that backfield. And schematically, he is a perfect fit for a Shanahan-style offense, which is what Miami runs. He is a one-cut-and-go, and he is explosive. So, And he's going to get a lot of space with Tyreek Hill and Waddle pushing the safeties way back. He's going to have a lot of I, Yeah, I, he's one of those guys that I don't care how badly I have to overdraft him. Also, I don't care how he looks with backups in the preseason because when he starts with Miami, with those elite receivers, with that speed, he's going to be facing six-man boxes and he can run away from those guys. I Look, love that pick. I, I saw him in the preseason in week one and he was – what he showed was against tough boxes was toughness. He was in there. He was laying the shoulder in and – worry about smaller backs. So he's answering questions. Yeah, he was, and he looked like he was perfectly capable of running between the tackles. Granted, against NFL backups and special and special teamers and practice squad guys. Yeah, but, he was in he, the fourth quarter. So, but still, but he looked like he didn't belong in with those guys, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. Let's shift over to a much shorter segment on defenses and special teams, which are highly dependent on your format. Formats are all over the place on what they, how they score defensive special teams, how big of a factor they are, usually not very much. And you are going to want to look at that very highly because there's a lot of uh, turnover from year to year in the defensive position. So what's your strategy? Do you have a basic one for the defense? Well, my thought of with when I look at defenses is – in a league where there are a significant chance to hurt you if you get a bad one, but a good one is hard to pick because of the randomness. I like to get like the fifth or sixth one off the table and then take one or two stabs, depending upon how I'm feeling with my uh, roster. Mm-hmm. In Again, this is in a league where defensive special teams matter. I was going to say that's controversial because most leagues will only take one defense, but you're talking about a league where you can take two. So, Right. And just wanted to clarify if that. You are, if you're a typical standard scoring league where it's like a point of sack, two points for a turnover, and six for a touchdown, then defense. Then there is no defensive strategy. The You pick defense with your next to last pick and just grab the best one left that you like. This is sort of for everybody else. What I look for is sacks and uh, interceptions because those are going to be steady from year to year. Pressure is steady from year to year, again, unless there's some sort of major turnover with those players. So that's kind of the backbone of your defensive scoring, unless you've got a system where points against it or yardage is valued highly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to echo that. Um, I usually look for teams with multiple pass rushers that can really create havoc from different places. And that helps you get ter- create turnovers and sacks and score points, et cetera. Uh, we each pick two mid to late round defenses to go after Joe. Uh, you let's go with both of yours and let's kind of group them together. Cause I think, your strategy is different than mine, and we can kind of talk about why you pick those two defenses. And I'll pick exactly mine, because my, my two defenses are related. So, and I was going to do that anyway because okay, cool. they're both. It's Perfect. the same mentality behind both of them. Perfect. Uh, in this particular case, the Jets and who are the fifth ranked defense, and the Patriots, the seventh, 
are really appealing to me because they both are extremely high talent units mm-hmm. that were severely held back last year by their offenses, both of which have significantly improved the Jets. Their offensive skill position imports are well documented mm-hmm. and the Patriots yep. uh, looked at Matt Patricia and decided to go with addition by subtraction. And the Jets have a lot of good pass rushers, young earns, and then they have arguably the best, uh, most elite running uh, cornerback group in the uh, league. So I think that's a great one. And then the Belichick defenses always do well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the two I picked are going later. I picked the Saints going 11 and the Panthers going 20. It's not a coincidence. They're in the NFC South. Um, one of the reasons I like the Who Saints. Stink? Yep. One of the reasons I like the Saints is more of their schedule base because they do, they have, um, you can grab them late, start them for four or five weeks. And while you do it, get ready to uh, roster churn afterwards because they have some good matchups early on. They have enough pass rush that they can uh, score you points. I don't know if I'd want to keep them the whole year, but I think they'll be good for to get you through your first month, and then you can get an idea for what defenses are of, of um, emerging. Because usually, what happens is after a month, the true elite defenses start to rise from the pile, the ashes, and guys that were drafted in the top three start to fade, and you kind of have a better idea of how to evaluate them. And then the Panthers, I like differently because they are also. AFC NFC South, but the, Brian Burns is a great young pass rusher on one end. They signed uh, Justin Houston to uh, augment him on the other. And I like late round defenses with two good pass rushers or more that you can get very cheap off the waiver or in the last round of your draft. And I think they're a value that you can pick up later. And then you're not tied to them if you find a better guy on the waiver later or in a trade. Yeah, I like that approach too. And that's a really good one if you're an active manager. Yeah. And it's and, and that's what I like about defenses. You can go either way. If you get a stud defense, you can just ride them all year like the Jets type. And if you don't get them, you can be active and make up for it. But it just takes a lot more effort in playing matchups. But it can be done. Yeah. But that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Thanks again to Raymond for our show theme of Running Home, wherever digital music is sold. For Chris Brantley for our logos. If you want to get in on the conversation, you've got a sleeper, a buyer beware, or anything else you want to comment on, tell us we're idiots. Then you can email the show, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com, or contact us through our social medias, and we will do our best to get your your takes on the show, and this can be your show too. But it is locker room time, it is fifth quarter time. Thank you for spending this time this week, and hopefully we can help you a little bit with your uh, draft prep coming up. Next week, wide receivers and our little blurb on kickers. Until next time, though, we will see you later. Bye, stars, everyone, and I miss you already.